Welcome to the Evolved Caveman, where men learn to be successful and happy with your host, Dr. John Schinnerer, as he shares the most impactful ideas and practices for you to get the most from your relationships, your work, and from your life. Now here's Dr. John. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John back with the latest episode of the Evolved Caveman. And today I am really honored and excited to have with me as my guest, Melanie Curtin. And Melanie and I met in New York City several months ago. And Melanie is a sex researcher and coach. And she has a master's in communication from Stanford. Now I know, I know what you're saying. You're saying to yourself, but John, that's the enemy school. I, I understand. And sometimes we will make exceptions for that if we have a very good person. Melanie Go Bears. Is that good person. <laughs> so Melanie, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So how did you get into this field of sex research? That, that question alone fascinates me. Yeah, great question. So um, I feel like in a way it was my calling. And um, originally many years ago, I was working to stop sexual abuse in the Jewish community. And so I had a really good friend who was from one of the more insular communities in New York. If you're not from the New York area, there are several um, Hasidic Jewish communities in Williamsburg and upstate New York that are um, almost like the Amish. So they're very, they're very insular. And there's a lot of sexual abuse in those communities. And my friend was a survivor and we ended up founding a startup nonprofit to stop sexual abuse in those communities. Um, we were training mothers on the signs and symptoms in kind of like a Tupperware party format. So we'd have a mom invite other moms to her home and then we would bring in a therapist and we had a four week curriculum. And then at the end, one of the other moms would sort of pick up the baton and we would go to her house next because that community was really kind of afraid of, of going out or admitting that they were talking about this at all, but it was a really big issue. Mm -hmm. So I was in that field and basically came to the conclusion that we are never going to stop that issue from, from that side of it, from the pathological side of it. We're only going to stop it if we establish a healthy sexual culture overall. So I sort of switched <laughs> to the other side of working on that because it felt like the more efficient and effective route. And, um, and essentially, the, the short version is that if adults hold shame around sex, they, they transmit that to the kids and the kids can, can feel that it's not okay for them to bring it up. And so they are more likely to stay silent. And um, there's more we could go into about that, but that's the, the short version of, I, I was thinking to myself, we need a healthy, open sexual culture, period. Okay. We can't just hope that, that kids will speak up because that's not realistic. So then what was the methodology that you used to enter into this? How did you get your data? Right. So I am a writer and I have written for a really long time and some of my pieces do very, very, very well. And I wanted to, um, I basically just wanted to know if other people were having the same problems with sex that I was having and, and get a broader sort of range. And so the way I started was I wrote an article called My Top Three Sex Problems as a Woman. And that piece went viral and I embedded a survey link into that piece and just invited people, men and women, 
you know, any age, everybody just, you know, what are your top three problems? And I, I embedded a few more questions into that survey. It was rather more comprehensive than just that. Mm-hmm. And I got like, got over like 5,000 responses, wow. something like that. It was a, quite a lot. And, um, of those, I think about 2,200 were complete responses. So some of the data was incomplete, but I, mm-hmm. I sort of parsed it out. And so let's get to the question that I, I've been dying to ask. How do I, I mean, how do men become great in bed? Okay, so <laughs> I love this question for many reasons, but one is that um, I, I like most of my research comes from my own curiosity and I was, and I've been very sexually active over my life. And so I knew that the number of men that were good in bed in my life was quite low. The per- if you looked at the percentage, it was really low. And I was curious to see what other women would say. So I put out a survey um, and I asked women straight up, you know, how many of the men that you've slept with were good in bed? Like what percentage of men were good in bed? And, um, and then what I did is I basically um, separated out the women that had a very low data set. So if you've only slept with two men, that's yeah, 50%. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 50% were good. and fifty percent We're not good. Exactly. Um, so I separated it out to um, more experienced women, which I categorized as 20 plus partners. Okay. And of the experienced women, um, the vast majority said 90% of men are not good in bed. Wow. Yeah. 10% are good. 90% are not good. And then I, again, it was like one of those, um, it was a quite comprehensive survey. <laughs> so then if I can interrupt there, cause the other thing that comes to mind is what is good. Yeah. So I didn't qualify that in the question. I wanted women to just respond from their own experience. And then I got really granular in the rest of the survey as to okay. what it was. What I wanted to know was what are the men that are really, really good doing like what is the what is the magic sauce what is it that this many women are reporting is good because I know what I like and I know what makes man good for me but part of my uh, purpose is to aggregate data so that I'm not just you know guessing and um, one of the analogies that I really like to use in my work and with my clients is women are like cars Okay, so we're going to set Tesla's aside for this example, right? All cars have engines, all cars have transmissions, all cars have spark plugs. They all have the same parts and every car is different. So some cars pull to the left, some cars, you know, I had a stick shift car that like didn't like reverse, like reverse was like a real challenge. And when other people- I had a car that wouldn't start once. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Turn it on. Couldn't turn it on, John. Um, the car metaphor is like really awesome when you get into it. Um, so the idea is not that every single car is exactly the same. However, there are best practices in terms of how to drive a car. And that is, I think like from all of the work that I do, like my, uh, conclusion is that the way men are learning to drive cars right now is primarily from porn Mm -hmm. and that's a problem. 
because mm-hmm. you're learning how to drive the car wrong. Like basically any car. <laughs> um, Isn't that just like driving the car into a wall repeatedly? Sort of. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, um, it's like skipping gears. Like you're grinding the gas and the brake at the same time. Yeah. It's like you're grinding the gears because the car is not warmed up. Mm -hmm. It's not ready to be driven. It's too fast. And we'll like get into that. But the basic um, idea behind the, the, what makes a man good was what are the answers that women are giving over and over and over and over. And that's what I was sort of focused on. And, um, that's what I, so I created a course based on all of the data called please her in bed. And that's what it was based on was what are all of these women saying over and over. And I sort of separated it out into, you know, some women like this, but there were certain things that kept coming up, which is the, which were the four steps that I sort of aggregated out of like, these okay. are the things that they keep talking about, you know, the, the vast majority of them. And so, you know, you got to know this and this is not, what porn is going to show you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of those four steps? So, um, so, okay. I'm going to go over step one. Cause I feel okay. like that's kind of like the most important one. And, um, also to me, it was the most surprising one. Like I didn't, I hadn't really expected it. Um, but it made sense once I figured it out. And that is, um, Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what it is, and then I'm going to explain what it is, okay? okay? The man has to cross the divide. He has to cross the divide. So basically, what I kept seeing over and over, I asked, um, this was from another survey that I did about, um, like, have you ever, what have, you know, what's one thing that you wish you could have told a past partner with no sugarcoating? Okay. So I asked both men and women, this was a, this was a data set of over, I think a thousand. And I was asking both of them, like if you, because a lot of us hold back and we'll talk about that in terms of communicating with our partners about sex. And I wanted to know without holding back, I'm going to, you know, this is an anonymous, anonymous survey. I'm a sex researcher. I'm like a confessional. People tell me all the things. (laughs) Um, So with no sugar coating, what do you wish you could have told a past partner about the sex? And I was going through the results and I kept noticing that a lot of the men were saying the same thing and a lot of the women were saying the same thing. So a lot of the men were saying, I need you to tell me what you want. I need you to tell me what you like. I need you to tell me how to do this. Am I doing it right? Are you enjoying this? Like many of their answers were, I need you to, I need you to help me out. Like I need you to tell me, give me some feedback. Like, tell me what's working. Tell me what's not working. Show me while we're having sex. There was a lot of like, help me, tell me. Um, and the women were saying, I wish I could have told you what I needed. Hmm. I wish I could have told you what I liked. I wish I could have told you how to please me. I wish I could have told you what works for me. And more importantly, what doesn't work for me. This was very apparent and I call it the divide. So there's, there's men on one side being like, I wish you could tell me what you needed. And the women on the other side being like, I wish I could tell you what I needed. And they're not, they're not meeting in so the it's middle. A sexual communication gap. Yes. And I think that a lot of the time we, we kind of lump a lot of things under the word communication and sort of like, I don't know, dress it up and we're like, Oh, well, if we just improve our communication, everything will be fine. And that's true. But what I teach 
is the reasons for the divide. So basically, like in, you know, in the research and in my own experience, there are four reasons why women are so terrified to speak up and to, and to talk about what they want, especially if it's something that's not working for them. For example, he's fingering them too hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's just use that as an example, because that's extremely common. Um, Mm -hmm. I've slept with a lot of men and it's extremely common, partly because that's what you see in porn. Mm -hmm. So, um, Well, partly I would say because the excitement, the arousal increases. Yeah, maybe. I just, I don't know. I like, like I'm a woman who watches porn and a lot of times like they'll just like, like start sticking their fingers up her vagina, like right away. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no no slow buildup. Zero. There's literally zero. And I've been with men like that many, many times. And like, this isn't how you warm up the car. Mm-hmm. This isn't, this is not it, but most of the time I didn't speak up. And most of the time, most women are not speaking up. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what. So the first reason why women don't speak up is, um, if I'm, I'm basically afraid that if I say something to my partner, like, like, ow, actually that kind of hurts that he'll say, well, fuck you. You don't like the way I'm doing it. I won't do it. So he'll like, like lash out and, and attack me. And that is a very real fear for me. I'm, I'm quite afraid of that. It does like shut me down, keeps me small. And a lot of women also report that as a fear. Well, and there are some guys that will do that. And there are men who will do that. Yes. Many won't. Some mm-hmm. will. I would and say the vast majority won't. But if you get one that does that, it'll shut you down for the rest. That's right. That's exactly right. And I agree with you. I think that more aren't going to respond that way. But the fear is so big that it kind of shuts you down. So that's fear number one. Fear number two is, um, I'll speak up and then he won't say anything. He'll just start pulling away and eventually he'll go away. Like he will leave the relationship because he'll, he'll feel criticized. I will lose my connection. It's interesting. Both of these so far have to do with the fragile male ego. Yeah. We and can't, we can't receive constructive feedback very well. And sometimes it angers us. Sometimes it makes us withdraw. I think that looking at the research, um, I think that more women are afraid of fear number two. Like I think fear number two is the, is the primary fear for women. Like he won't lash out. He won't attack me, but he'll just, he'll just go away. And some of that's that all or nothing thinking like, I'm not good at sex. Fuck you. You know, cause that's kind of, I'm not, you're exactly. saying I'm not good. Exactly. Know, that's or, not what I'm saying. We're just fine tuning. Exactly. Or I think some, for some men, it's like, well, screw you. This worked with my last six partners. And to that, I would say, did it though? <laughs> like, and, and I'm being really serious. Like, yeah. are you sure that it worked? Or do you think that they might've just been really scared to say like, ow, like I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm not wet yet. Like I'm not ready. Cause it's so fucking scary to say that. Like, that's the thing that I keep coming back to is it's so fascinating. And part of the reason I created my course was because I was like, there's actually nowhere that a man can go to get this information or like this quality information because th- your partners aren't telling you mm-hmm. unless you're really creating a safe space, which we'll, we'll talk about. 
you're not getting the information from them. And I did a research survey about where do men learn about sex? Like, hey guys, where did you, you know, I did, this was actually cool because I did qualitative interviews, meaning I spent a lot of time. It wasn't an anonymous survey. I spent, I did 20 qualitative interviews with men. Like, where did you learn about sex? How did you learn about sex? And a lot of them said um, porn Mm -hmm. uh, and partners. And that's fine if your partners are giving you honest, truthful responses, but if they're not, then you don't have actual data. You don't actually know. And I would say we don't really learn much from friends either, because what I've found in the past, looking at the differences in how men and women communicate in groups is men will say something like, oh yeah, you know, I got laid last night, but there's not much more beyond that. Or I, you know, I made love to my partner last night, however we phrase it, but women will go into great detail about what happened. Did you like it? Like, where did it happen? And the degree of detail is much deeper in groups of women than it is in groups of men. Yeah. And I think there's, I think that men have an expectation or they, they think they should be perfect at this or good at this right away with no um, adjustments. And they feel a lot of shame around the idea that maybe they do need some adjustments. Like, I think that, I think there's something different about women somehow where they, they're like, oh, sure, I'll learn how to give a better blowjob. Like, I don't, there's not as much shame for them around it. And it seems to me like somehow in the conversation, and I'd love to hear your perspective as a man, that men feel like I should know how to do this. I should be good at this already. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I was talking to a sex educator in New York that I mentioned before that we went on the air who said that I would give a class on how to give a blowjob to women and the the course would be packed. There'd be a line out the door and then I'd give a course on cunnilingus and there'd be like one guy and crickets chirping. And so I, I think there's almost an embarrassment for us and a pride and, you know, men hate to be embarrassed. So we don't want to admit that we don't know how it's just, it's similar. I would say to asking for directions when we're lost. And the other thing that comes across my mind that fascinates me is I've had a lot of talks with men over the years about like the first time we've had sex and I'll say, you know, look, I I regret the first time I had sex. It didn't mean anything. I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't pleasurable. And almost 90% of them will agree. Yeah. I, I wish I hadn't, my, my first time was, is a regret. Like it was just, it was there to get it done and get it over with. It didn't mean anything. I wish it hadn't been that way. And then the other, the other piece of data for you, which is fascinating to me is I thought I was the only guy that figured out he doesn't like one night stands that I feel I found you're that, not. I, with that <laughs> you're definitely not. Yeah. And, and so I, I found I need that emotional connection to have good sex. And without it, I, you know, I could do a one night stand, but afterwards I, I find, and it's pleasurable in the moment, don't get me wrong. But afterwards I'm like, I feel a little bit guilty. I feel a little ashamed. I feel a little bit dirty. Like it just, it's not, I don't feel good about myself. And I've talked with a bunch of men about this and the vast majority are exactly the same way. And that blew me away. Yeah. I would argue that more men are like you than not. And that our culture is super weird about men and sex. And so I think there's a myth out there about men because I think more women now in the, at least in the millennials are more open to having a one night stand than the men. Yeah, maybe that's a good question. I should, I should pull my people and see, just curious. see about that because I, I think um, this kind of brings up the, the topic of at least for me safety because mm-hmm. um, I work with, almost exclusively men. I work with a lot of men and we don't talk about sexual safety for men. 
And I have my own Me Too stories, don't get me wrong, but there is something important about a lot of men need emotional safety and security Mm -hmm. to enjoy sex and also to get an erection. A lot of my clients report not really being able to get it up if they don't feel emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, I think a lot of shame for men to talk about that, but oh, I, yeah. so I'm an advocate, I'm talking about it. Cause I, I know for my clients, if they don't feel emotionally good with that woman, especially if she's angry or shaming, if they're in a relationship with a woman and she's angry or shaming, like that's going to affect the sex hundred percent. Right. And we don't, I feel like we're at a point, especially in our culture where, you know, if, if we were to talk about, if a man were to talk about that, I feel like he would be, sh- he would be shamed for that. Well, it's, it's funny in the sense, pardon me, I mean, that, that good sex is a deeply emotional act. And we live in a culture where men are socialized to be disconnected from their emotion. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with you doing research on it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, I want to keep going with the fears. Yeah, and the third point. Really important. So, um, so the second one is the withdrawal one, like I talked about. Um, the third one is... Um, it's actually like, um, I'm afraid that he will judge me as being slutty. So like, if you, if, you know, like, I want you to bend me over, I want you to pull my hair. I want you to like kinky stuff. Um, there's, there's still a lot of women that are afraid that if they speak up and they're really honest, he's going to think they're a slut. He's going to think that they're like, he's going to judge her mm-hmm. as less than. And, and this is something I've noticed. Um, so I hooked up with a guy, uh, he was Canadian. I don't know if that affects the story, but I just thought I'd mention it. Um, he was very Canadian. Polite. Yes. Very polite. He was Canadian and we like, we were making out or something and he's, he, he wanted to go further or whatever. We were like on a couch. We weren't in my room. And I was like, I don't really know you yet. Like, I don't, I know, <laughs> like, I don't really know you yet. And, um, later I heard that he, we, we did end up having sex, like, a, I don't know, like a couple weeks later, but in that interim period, he was talking to a friend, a mutual friend. And he said, Melanie's a lady. Melanie's a lady. Hmm. And I remember thinking, see, this is the conundrum that I feel like a lot Uh-oh. of people are in is either I can have sex and I can take my pleasure or I can be respected. And it's really hard to uh, believe that you can do both. And I feel like that is still borne out in mm-hmm. some people's minds. It's not, it's not like a false fear. So I think there's a lot of women for whom the, they are afraid that if they, really, if they really speak up about what they want, if they're assertive about what they want in bed, like, I want it this way, I want it this way, I want you to touch me lighter, I want you to, that the man will like... Um, judge them as slutty. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, well, it's interesting that, you know, if you have sex the first night, then there's that judgment of, oh yeah, I got lucky and she's loose or, and she's a slut. But then if you have to wait, then there's this judgment of, oh, you know, she's respectable. And yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how to get past that other than to keep talking about it. Yeah. I, i also, am not, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't, uh, have the the answer to that i think that if you um i think it's i think essentially what i've come to is which we'll talk about is that it really helps when the man leads the conversations it really helps um when he crosses the divide 
because it's so terrifying for women to do it. And I think that that can extend to like, I want you to tell me what you like. It turns me on when you tell me what you want. It, it kind of helps her feel safer to express because like one of the quotes from the research was a woman who said, I have no problem telling a one night stand or a fling what I want in sex, but I don't want my partner to think I'm a dirty whore. Mm-hmm. So this is not just someone that you're casual with. A lot of women are reporting like with their long-term partners, they feel inhibited. Like they feel like shit. If I really show my sexual side, he's going to, he's going to think I'm a slut, even if we've been together. And it's not a conscious fear. It's not like something that we're like, I mean, we're aware of it, but it's a deeper, it's, it's deep. It's like, I don't want to lose his respect. I don't want to lose him, his love. So as a man during sex to ask questions like, do you like this? Does this feel good? Would you like it lighter? Would you like it harder, softer touch, somewhere different? Those sorts of questions or are there, are there other questions? Yeah. What I, what I teach is to kind of like lay the groundwork and really like basically, um, the way that I teach it in the, in the first uh, part of the course is um, it's kind of like you're coaxing a kitty cat into the house. So you want to make it really safe and you want to like, you're not, you know, the cat's not just going to come in the house. Like you're going to lay out a dish of milk and you're going to sit around the cat so that it knows you're safe and you're not going to attack it. You're just going to be there for like the first few days. And you understand that it's a process. Cause I think what happens is a lot of men will say, well, what do you want? <laughs> and then they'll like expect the woman to like a know exactly what she wants, which many women do not because they're not really sexually empowered yet. And B that she'll feel totally free to tell them. It doesn't work like that. It's a, it's a process. It's an opening up process. And so um, part of, I think the practice for men is I always want to know. I always want to know if something's working for you. I always want to know if something hurts. And I think it's really important to name that, the part about it hurting, because in my research and the research of many other sex researchers, the number one sex problem for women is frequently pain. Mm. And that simply doesn't show up for men, I can tell you, because I'm looking at the data. Very, very rare. The only thing men talk about pain-wise is teeth during blowjobs. That's basically it. Women, like it hurt, the, the fingering hurts, uh, the intercourse can hurt. If she's not warmed up, a lot of it's going to hurt. And m- most women aren't warmed up, actually. Yeah. Um, a stat earlier, um, I was talking with Jory about like the length of time that it takes women to warm up for sex versus men that kind of blew me away. Can you share that? Yeah. So this was a statistic about um, full physiological arousal, which means like all systems go. Like you, like all the blood is there, like all the tissues are engorged, everything is like fully ready. And for men, that process takes about seven minutes. So a man can go from zero to full physiological arousal in about seven minutes. If he's being long, huh? (laughs) A lot of men say that they're like, I don't know, dude, it takes me like two minutes. minutes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You got the research. I think, um, I think a lot of men have perfected the art of like masturbating really fast, which uh, again, like I actually, I'm, I'm going to get caught. Exactly. <laughs> I exactly. No, I totally agree. I think it's yeah. from childhood when you had to do it really fast yeah. because you didn't want to get caught. And I don't Absolutely. necessarily, right. I don't necessarily think that's uh, healthy and not like, not like I'm telling men it's bad, but I feel a little sad hearing that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm like, Oh, that's really sad. Like, it shouldn't be something that you're getting it over with. Like it should be enjoyed. Um, but anyway, so, 
zero to seven minutes, it's full physiological arousal. You can also have an orgasm or, or ejaculate without full physiological arousal. You only need to be so aroused to be able to I do that. that. So, right. So like, we're talking about like, everything's online. Yeah. Um, and so women, so men take about seven minutes and women, they don't take 14 minutes, which would be twice the time. And they don't take 21 minutes, which would be three times. They take 45 minutes to come to full arousal. Yeah. That's amazing. Which is amazing. And sometimes I think, um, men get a little intimidated when I say that. Cause they're like, Oh fuck. Like that's a really long time. Like what, you know, we got to go to bed and stuff like that. And, um, I got to get to sleep. Exactly. Like that's so long. <laughs> First of all, um, the average sexual encounter is 20 minutes. And like I said, you don't need to be at full physiological arousal to have sex, even as a woman. But I think it's a worthy statistic and it's very uh, worth spending time on because the, um, the, the differential there is so dramatic that it's like, it, it, it's like the takeaway for men is like, it takes way longer than you think. It takes way longer. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be all of that time in bed, right? Like if you come up to her in the kitchen, you know, let's say she's doing dishes and you're like nuzzling her neck and then you, you know, walk away and you, you're like cleaning the counters or something. Like if you're, you know, one thing that came up a lot in the research was um, attention throughout the day. So like, texting her or calling her or leaving a little note or something, just putting attention on her during the day, women reported repeatedly that that's arousing to them and that it's part of the turn on process. So the 45 minutes doesn't have to be all the time between the sheets. I think it's, it's like, it's like one of the guys that went through my course said he was like, it extended my understanding of what sex is and when it mm. takes place. It's not just, uh, you know, on, in the bed or over the, you know. Well, and I like that idea that the, the biggest sexual organ in a woman is her brain. And so reminding yourself of that, okay, I need to be engaging in flirtatious behavior all day long, ideally every day. I mean, one of the favorite things that I do with Jory is to your point, coming up behind her, grabbing her close when she's doing the dishes and just giving her a kiss on the neck. Um, or, you know, sending her flirtatious texts throughout the day. I want you. I can't wait to see you tonight. Um, and that makes the foreplay all day long. And it builds the anticipation. And then the payoff is amazing. Yeah, exactly. And that was another, like, one of those findings that I hadn't expected. So I was, like, going through the research and um, I was asking women about, you know, the men that are the best in bed. And this this kept coming up was, he put attention on me during the day. He texted me. He, he let me know he wanted me. He um, communicated with me. Like he told me what turned him on about me. And I was like, oh, that right. Like I had forgotten that. So I always fill out my own surveys so that I can see where the gaps are and everything. And when I filled out the survey, I didn't even like touch that. I was like, I, I just forgot about it. But well, yeah, I want Jory to know she's desired and adored. Yes. And I think that's what... Um, I think that's what a lot of the men in that have gone through my course have reported is they're like, Oh, I get it now. Mm -hmm. I get it that that turns her on. It's not just like a nice thing. It's like, it's connected to sexual arousal for women. Do you, I'm curious, would you say that it's connected for men as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's a building of anticipation. And so I, if I had to put money on it, I might say that it's a little bit more arousing for women, but I think it's, 
it's arousing for both. It might be a little bit difference in degree, um, but I think just having the anticipation of we're going to have sex tonight, I'm going to make love tonight. Um, there's something, there's something about the the game of cat and mouse of desire of letting her know she's desired. Um, yeah, of just building sexual anticipation. Totally, and I, I really, I think, you, I think that uh, from like the research that I've done, I think you're right that it is more arousing to the female brain and the female system. Like, just, I don't know, it's just set up that way. But it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Like, your ass looked amazing in that skirt when you left mm-hmm. the house. That's enough. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It can just be little things. But it's like, um, you know, one thing that I, um, I feel like men should know is that women are like, um, like flowers or like plants, right? Like you got to kind of water them <laughs> throughout, like throughout the day, throughout the week for them to bloom. It, like it can't just be like, you know, once every three weeks or something like that's not really going to work as well. And I, I, I really think that um, knowing what those triggers are for your partner that do turn them on is really helpful. And that's. And I think the other thing is you want to do these behaviors throughout the day without, sometimes without any expectation of sex. I mean, like this morning, you know, I was just letting Jory know, I was like, your ass looks really hot in those jeans, but there's no like expectation that we're going to make love right then. Yes. I'm admiring you when you're not even aware of it. Yes. She does have an amazing ass, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, true. I don't know if I should say thank you for that, but <laughs> I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure what to say to that. <laughs> My ass. Um, yeah, no, I, that's a really good point because I, that was something that also came up in the research is I don't, like women would be like, I don't just want affection when he wants sex. Mm-hmm. Like I want affection like more of the time. I crave that and it really helps me feel loved. And when when a woman feels loved, she tends to feel turn on faster and easier. So it's like connected. It's interesting because it's, it's the idea of bids for attention comes up, right? That we all want attention. And if we're not getting the attention from our partner, if we shut down those bids for attention, I think human nature is that most people will look for the attention elsewhere. And that's completely within your control. Just do more bids for attention. Like let her know that you're admiring her, that you want her, that you desire her, that she looks beautiful, that she looks sexy. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, especially um, in long-term, in longer-term partnerships, because mm-hmm. it's, it's just easy to forget, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get habituated. We get, we take it for granted. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> um, like one of the guys, so I, have basically adapted the course for couples as well. Um, so in my beta, I ran some men through it and most of them were single, but one of them was married and he, he had great, a great experience. Like week one, he had this really good experience because um, he was, yeah, one of those guys is maybe like a little bit more reserved and this week was that week was all about sort of the attention before the sexual encounter. And he had a date night with his wife that week and he, um, they went to a restaurant or something and he made sure that they sat next to each other instead of across from each other. And he put his hand on her thigh throughout like a lot of the meal and not in like, I'm going to fuck you in the bathroom. Right. But just like, I notice you, I'm here. Like, I think you're 
beautiful. And then I think they went to like a craft fair or something. He held her hand. He just was much more mindful of physical touch and affection Mm -hmm. and expressing it. And, and like, you know, like maybe he like pinched her butt while they were at the fair or whatever, but not in a, like, I expect that we will have sex, but like, I'm enjoying you. I'm enjoying mm-hmm. you. I guess that's really what it comes down to. It's like, I'm enjoying you. Yeah. And, well, I mean, and also I'm attracted and I want you. I mean, there's that, you know, and I like to touch you and, and even just, you know, touching your partner is that gives you that oxytocin dump when, and that's the neurotransmitter responsible for trust, rapport, friendship, bonding, bonding and, you know, every touch is important. Yes. And every touch helps her body relax. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that like men need to understand is a woman's orgasm is directly related to how relaxed her body is. So the more relaxed that you help her feel, and, and these things tend to relax a woman's system, knowing she's wanted by her partner, knowing that he's there with her, you know, her her physical body, when it relaxes, that's when an orgasm happens. And so knowing that she's safe. So let's move on to that kind of creating a safe and secure environment, because I think that's critical because we're talking about, I mean, in order to relax, you got to feel safe. Yes. And that's what, so back back to like coaxing the cat into the house. Um, uh, I say pussy cat in my talk. (laughs) Because I mean, that's begging to be said. I mean, really. So, um, yeah, really, coaxing the pussy into the house. That's right, coaxing uh-huh. the pussy into the house. Uh, you really want to start with that. Um, hey, I just want you to know that I always want to know anything that's working or not working during sex. Mm-hmm. I always want to know. I want you to feel safe telling me. I want you to feel safe telling me. You can name it, like name the safety. And then the key is that what's going to happen is many women, so some women, so women are all in like a different range of sexual expression. Can I interrupt you there for a second, Melanie? Because I I think naming it's great. I think it also has to be backed up by your behaviors. Because I'm just thinking, you know, okay, here's a guy that's physically abusive and slapped her last week. And then he's like, oh, you know, I want you to feel safe. And she's like, I'm not feeling safe. So you have to be aware of your behaviors too throughout the week, throughout the month, like throughout the relationship, the behaviors have to back up the words or sync with the words. Yes. Good point. And that's something that, um, that I talk about in terms of basically what will happen is a lot of women will not say anything right away. So the man will say, I really want you to feel safe to tell me. I always want to know. She's not going to say something for a while. Again, like you're coaxing the cat in the house. Mm-hmm. The first time she does say something like, actually, could you do it a little lighter, like a little less pressure? That is the moment when it really matters that you back it up. Mm-hmm. So first of all, first of all, you have to adjust Mm-hmm. Like, without judgment. have to do it lighter. And my, my recommendation is you got to do it lighter from then on because what women are reporting over and over and over and over and over and over in research, and what I have seen in my sex life is I will give a man an adjustment. Like I'd love for you to finger me lighter, like less pressure. And he'll do it for two minutes and then he'll go back to the way he's always yeah. done it. So if your woman ever gives you an adjustment, like you really want to take that seriously. I and- like the idea, pardon me for interrupting again. I sure. like the idea of just going as light as you can to start. I mean, like just like touching the clitoris as lightly as you possibly can and just see like what's the response. Just slowing it way down and going the lightest touch you can and seeing, okay, how does this work for you? And then you can build up from there and see, you know, what's, what's the best for you? What feels good? 
Yeah, that's the whole like the slow startup. The slow startup. That's what I. If, if there was one, you know, sexual takeaway, it would be that for me is that most men aren't warming up the car. Yeah. So touching the skin lightly, touching the breasts slightly, yes. touching the clitoris lightly, and then you can you know go to squeezing the breasts and kind of sure or even her back, like her yeah. thighs, like Massage. everything. Like somebody was like, I feel like men see me as like boobs butt and pussy and she's like i have a whole rest of me (laughs) touching like the inner thigh like that light touch all the way down to the feet like Mm -hmm. touching the feet massaging the feet i mean there's all sorts of ways you can go but again if you understand the importance of touch throughout the body and really kind of value those other areas of the body with light touch i mean yeah that's that goes a long way to warming up the car so what usually happens is if he extends the invitation, and I call it creating a safe sexual space, if he's creating a safe sexual space, he's telling her more than once, I always want to know if something hurts. I always want to know if you like something and you want more of it. I always want to know. And she's probably not going to say anything for, for a while. Then the first time she says something, thank you for telling me. Thank you for telling me. And here's the trick is you got to mean it. <laughs> like you got to mean it. So what I coach men on is, um, you can always say, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a little hard for me to hear. And thank you for telling me. Mm-hmm. So don't, yes, exactly. Don't disown that you feel a little shut down or you've been together for 10 years and you didn't know that there's this thing you do while you're kissing that she doesn't really love. Like you might feel betrayed. You might be like, what the fuck, like you didn't tell me for 10 years, we're married. Like, you know, like you might have those feelings and that's totally fine. And you, you want her to feel safe. So like, wow, that's really hard for me to hear. And thank you for telling me Mm -hmm. that was brave that you told me. I appreciate that you told me own both of those things. Because if you don't own the first part, that's hard for me to hear, or I'm feeling a little shut down. If you don't own that, she's going to feel it mm-hmm. and she's not going to trust you. So if you say, well, thanks for telling me. The resentment can build or that, that hurt can build if you let it accumulate. Yeah, exactly. And I think we can feel tension in our partners. Men and women can feel tension mm-hmm. in our partners. And if that tension isn't spoken to, I think it's really damaging. And I know for me, that's the quickest way for me to feel unsafe with a man. If I can feel that he's especially angry or upset or resentful and he's not talking like speaking to it like man i'm i'm safety is like gone for me now and if and especially in this what we're talking about the context of sexual communication if i say like actually i'd really like it lighter like less pressure and he's like thanks for telling me (laughs) i'm like okay well i'm never gonna say something again like now i'm like now you've just confirmed all of my fears so tone of voice becomes important yeah. Like, and that's what I'm saying about like, um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. I'm, I'm, you know, feeling a little off now, but thanks for telling me. I appreciate that. Well, and now everyone listening to this podcast should know, start light. Don't, I mean, it's kind of going against the training that you get watching porn, which I would think every woman would welcome. It's going completely against what you've seen porn. And, and that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like I said, the, I think what frequently happens, at least looking at the research is 
there are women who will speak up. There are women who will tell you. And many, 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 many times the man will adjust for two minutes and then go back to the way that he's always done it because this is how he's been having sex for six years, 12 years, 20 years. It's hard to adjust. That's yeah. the truth. And I, got, and, and I do think our excitement level comes into it. I think we get excited, which increases the pressure and um, can, you know, and I think communication is a really good tool for that moment. Like if she can say, you know, can you slow it down a little bit or not quite so hard? Um, God, I got so many things going through my head right now. So one of the things that I remember, I took a philosophy course back when I was at Pomona College. And one of the things the professor said, and I remember being blown away that he used this language in class, was the first time I'd ever heard this in class. But he said, you know, there's three, there's three types of power. And you can use like making love to kind of equate them. And one is making love, one is screwing or having sex, and one is fucking. And fucking is the most powerful, the strongest, the most aggressive, and making love is sort of the most gentle and easiest and most cooperative. But I, I do kind of equate those to different types of sex, that you know you have different speeds, and I think that those speeds are all allowable if you can communicate about them and if they feel good. Um, and so I, I think a lot of that rests on good communication around sex. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, later on in the course, one of the things that I talk about is sexual range. So for, a, so a man's sexual range goes from like the light side, which is like making love, eye contact, you know, soft softness, right. All the way over to fucking, which is like darker, harder, um, more aggressive, like pushing up. Even angry at times. Yeah. And women, and what I was pointing to was women's response in the research. They talked about both sides of the range mm -hmm. and women want a man with access to both sides of the range. And many men don't have that. Right. They only have access to one or the other. You know, in a lot of my work, um, what I coach my men on is balancing their heart and their cock energies so a lot of men, like the toxic masculine that we see in the world, it's all cock energy and no heart energy. It's just over on that one side of the spectrum. And then like the nice guys uh, are on the other side. They don't have access to their power, to their cock energy yet. They're, they're tamping it down. They're stuffing it down. They're, you know, that's what I work with a lot of my guys on is bringing them back into balance. Mm -hmm. And the good news is that men that have access to their heart that already have that side of the equation, they're actually pretty well set up once they do access their, their cock energy and really get that online, man, they are fucking attractive because yeah. they have both. And that's what we're going for, which is the integrated man. He has access to both, which means he can do what the moment calls for. Oh my gosh, the evolved caveman. Exactly. Um, so we're basically talking about you right now. <laughs> I know, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's me. I'm just saying that's what we're shooting for. Actually, yeah. I, had one, I had one guest come on and he kept referring to himself as the evolving caveman. I was like, oh shit, like that much, you know, because that <laughs> implies that we're still evolving, right? Like we're still learning. And that's the other point, I think is like when I got divorced, I studied about how to be better in bed. Like I read, I learned, I was like, I just want, I'm curious. And, and I think that that's a good goal too, for people to not assume that they know it all, to continue to learn and grow in a variety of areas, but sex being one of them. So I have one more question. Um, and the question has to do with presence. When we're in bed, when we're making love, when we're having sex, how does presence enter into it? How does the 
the idea that I am there in bed with my partner versus my head going to the past or the future or being with someone else mentally? Great question. So I'm going to tell a story about this. Um, so I uh, listened to a podcast okay. with Dr. Herb Goldberg, who I love, and he's a psychiatrist and he was talking about a patient of his who was a woman and she was married and she was having an affair with a man who really turned her on. She loved having sex with this guy. This was like the highlight of her life. She'd been having this affair for like a year. They'd been talking about it for a year. Um, we're going to set aside that aspect of it and just look at the sex part, which is she had been having sex with this man for a year. And after a year, it somehow came out during a session that um, they didn't have intercourse. Like, I think he was impotent or he, he, he couldn't get it up or something. And that was like a non-event for her. His presence was so magnificent. Like when he was with her, he had his attention on her. He was focused. He was really with her in the sex. He, he, she felt so filled up and so nourished and so happy that she didn't even notice <laughs> they weren't having intercourse. And this blew Dr. Herb's mind. He was like, I can't even, like as a man, he was like, what? <laughs> this hasn't come up before that the best sex of your life has been with a man who couldn't get it up. Mm -hmm. What you're pointing to is that, and this shows up in the research again and again, is that for women, the most important thing is presence. It's more important than a hard cock, than a, you know, you name it. Like one of the things I'm the most proud of in my research is the things that women didn't talk about. So 0% of them talked about the man having a six pack, having a great body. Mm -hmm. Uh, less than 3% of them talked about penis size. Uh, less than 5% talked about him staying hard for a long time. Like 95% of them didn't talk about that. 97% of them didn't talk about penis size. Wow. Like the things that men think <laughs> that women want aren't what women want, which is why I put the course together. Cause I was like, you should probably know what we do want. <laughs> like, I mm -hmm. feel like that's important. <laughs> like, as like a, I don't know, like a, like a service or something like, yeah. If it's, it's here, if you want it, if you want to know, like here it is. And, um, I'm wondering if you brought that up because that's what you came across when you were researching how to be good in bed. I've just noticed, um, uh, a deep presence when Jory and I are together <clears throat> and we talk about it, that our minds never wander in four years. And so we're always with each other when we're with each other. And I've not had that experience before. It's, it's qualitatively different. Yeah. I feel it's like arousingly that... different. <laughs> yeah. That feels, um, that feels like the sign of a healthy relationship. Yeah. And okay. So I have one more question. I, thank you for that response. Um, one of the things that's interested me along the course of my lifetime is, um, the dynamic of giving and receiving in sex that some of us really struggle with receiving and, you know, and then we're expect expectations. And so if you could just speak to that real quick and then we can, then we can wrap up. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. Cause I was just talking to um, a coach, male coach friend of mine and we were talking about um, the range on the side of the feminine. So we talked about the range on the side of the masculine and for the feminine, 
you know, one of the sides of the range is capacity for receiving. Mm -hmm. How much can she receive? How safe does she feel in her body to receive? So if you're with a woman who has had a lot of sexual trauma and she has not dealt with it, then her capacity to receive is going to be more limited. So no matter how good you are as a man in bed, there's going to be a limit. There's going to be a, a point at which her body wants to shut down because it doesn't, it physically doesn't feel safe because it's going through trauma again. Um, so I think that, I think receiving is really important for both partners, but especially for the feminine, especially for the feminine. It's like, I mean, even the physics of it, right? Like he penetrates her, she's receiving his cock. She's receiving, um, she, you know, it's like the plug in the socket or whatever, like she's the socket, but that's kind of physiologically how it works. So, um, I think safety receiving and the ability to receive is just critically important for the feminine. And I, and, and, and essentially, you know, cause I have worked with a lot of uh, trauma survivors. I think that there's a lot that a man can do to support a woman. And there's a lot that she needs to do on her own to kind of help heal from trauma. Yeah, it just interests me how I, I think it's an important exercise to learn to receive in a relaxed manner. Um, and I, I think, I imagine some of us are better at receiving than others. But Yeah, and we can always increase our capacity to receive, uh, especially if, like, one of the mantras I like is, I'm open to receiving. Mm-hmm. Like I'm open to it. It doesn't mean that I have to, or, but just I'm open to receiving. And I know that helps me train myself in that direction. Well, I have to wrap up now, but Melanie, I got to say, this was an amazing interview. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this. And I think it's going to be really valuable for, for men. Thank you. Thank you. Let me ask you this. Where can people reach you if they want to check out your class or get in touch with you for coaching? Yeah. So, um, you can just go to please her in bed.com. It's pretty easy to remember that'll take you to that page on my site, but then there's other, you know, about me contact, yada, yada, all the things. Um, and I made a little code for your listeners. So it's just caveman straight up. (laughs) Um, and that's $200 off the course. So it's 500. So it makes it 300. Awesome. What about social media? Um, I'm not really on social media as much. I have a podcast as well called Dear Men, and that is on Facebook. Um, and if you do want to listen to that, I would recommend the Girl Talk episodes because I get okay. my girlfriends around a mic and we just jam, and it's pretty entertaining. So fantastic! If you're check that out. Do one of the Girl Talk episodes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and thank you for your your service to the world because you're helping. You know support the healthy masculine. And I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. All right. And that's it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 